Welcome to Direct Impact, where we discuss the various ways our mental health and quality of life intersect. I'm your host, Andrea Epstein, licensed professional counselor, master's addictions counselor, and certified sex therapist. Think of our time together as focused self-reflection mixed with insight, passion, and empowerment. Now, take a deep breath. Now let's dive in and see what impacts you today. Hi, Direct Impact Nation. This is your host, Andrea Epteen. I'm really pumped about this episode because we are going to be talking about phases and stages of the you know, addictive process and the recovery process. It's just a little bit of a a what to expect. Um, We've talked about it in the past, but I don't think in the same way. Uh, I just feel like it's very important for loved ones and for individuals who are going through a recovery process to have some understanding and some grace and some self-compassion and some awareness of what's going on in these different stages and phases of that recovery process. And again, I'm going to go back to and we talk about it in season one, and please visit this episode often. But please understand when I talk about recovery, I am talking about recovering from addiction, both chemical addictions, behavioral addictions, I'm talking about recovery from any mental health disorders or or diagnoses, I'm talking about recovery from any type of dysfunctional relationships and behaviors. And so it's, it's a very broad term. But recovery automatically or just like at the end of the day becomes about self-discovery and recovering your authentic self, who you are. So you're recovering that authentic person. So that's recovery. And today we're talking about the stages and phases of that. It's just great, um, at least in my experience, to kind of know what to expect. All right. So Um, In the first three months of that recovery process, I just feel like there's a few things that jump off the page to me of things to be mindful of and uh, to be prepared for and to be aware of. And first would be withdrawal. Um, Of course, some of these things, it depends on how long you've been acting out in this behavior, you know, what was the age of onset? When did this begin? How often and how long? And, you know, how was it initiated? Was it, you know, trauma initiated, genetic, both? Um, So like, I, I want you to understand that, that everybody's experience is special and unique. And we are going to be talking in some general terms. So all of this stuff does make a difference. But at the end of the day, every single person, when you decide to abstain from something that you have been using as a coping mechanism for a long period of time is going to go through a period of withdrawal. And in my professional experience, Some of the most intense withdrawals that I have witnessed have been from behavioral addictions, sexual addiction and compulsivity, love and relationship addiction, um, and things of that nature. So that they are intense and they are felt physically, not just emotionally. So you will go through a stage of withdrawal. And some of the things that almost everybody can anticipate is just feeling very vulnerable feeling easily agitated. You might have some disruption in your 
diet, you might have some disruption in your bowels, you might have some disruption in your sleep. So you're going to have physical symptoms initially. And you will notice that you will recognize that it will make it very uncomfortable. And then you've got that emotional and mental and physiological and psychological piece. You know, um, those negative cognitions are going to be very loud. That addict voice is going to be calling out to you. You're going to feel all of that toxic shame very intensely. And this is just part of the withdrawal. And it's important to know that because it does not last forever. Okay, it is so important to go through it because you will remember later that you never want to go back to it. <laughs> okay, um, so that's it's just it's very critical um, that you're prepared, but willing and that you remember the pain. But when that starts to subside and the withdrawals lessen, you're very vulnerable at that point to things like overconfidence. Um, you might feel like, oh gosh, that's done. It's been a few weeks. I haven't been triggered. I haven't relapsed. So I can start to do those old things. So being very mindful of the people and the places and the things and all of the associations that you had, um, when you were actively acting out and making sure that you have boundaries with those things and those people and those places and that you are accountable to, your program and that you're accountable maybe to your therapist and you're accountable to your sponsor. So, you know, setting those boundaries and making sure that there's a lot of accountability around you during that phase is just critical for everyone. And it's very important. Again, I go back to giving yourself grace and, um, and understanding that you are you know, building new neuropathways that haven't been touched or, um, you know, strengthened maybe ever. So this is very challenging. You've not learned to regulate emotion on your own because you were doing that through these behaviors or through these people or through the, these chemicals. So that process um, is hard. It's challenging, you know, and that's when we we want to start working on things like the like using dbt dialectical behavioral therapy and and um and and filtering in kind of the polyvagal theory and things like that to keep you in your window of tolerance and to you know have healthy recovery practices and am routine and pm routine and habits and play so that you can stay on track and be mindful of the stinking thinking that will come up that tries to lure you back to old and healthy patterns of behavior, right? But you want to give yourself grace because it's like, it's inevitable. You know, you know, (laughs) that was what you did for so long. So yeah, it's work. And that's why having your accountability team and your sober support network um, right there and to be willing to actively engage becomes so important because in the first three more months, a lot of that stinking thinking kind of revolves around, this doesn't apply to me. You know, it's like there's this tendency to pick and choose what you need and, oh, that's not me. That's just for them. And it's okay. It's, it's denial is a part of this. <laughs> and, um, 
And all those defense mechanisms are going to swoop in to try to pull you back to old patterns of behavior. But just recognize it. Notice it. Be much more interested in the similarities, okay, than in the differences. And just know that you're vulnerable to those thoughts, you know, to that stinking thinking. And um, again, talk about it. Be honest about it. Uh, When you do that, then other people get to be like, oh, yeah, no, I get it. (laughs) I was there, too. I remember. I remember my first three months. I remember when I walked in the rooms and (laughs) sat around with these people that I had nothing in common with. And I was only there because I was forced (laughs) by someone to be there. You know, it's okay as long as you're just honest and open and and willing and eventually you will get to a place where you can really see the benefits and you start to notice yourself and recognize your authentic self. And then you start to love that person and you can self-regulate those emotions and you start to feel empowered and you start to feel like you can trust self and others. You start to feel compassion for self and others. You start to be willing to not just love yourself, but love others and to give, to prioritize self-care, to prioritize the practices that need to continue to stay in place um, for continued health and healing and growth, you know, because there will be the tendency even, you know, I mean, I see it really often in the first, we'll say like one to two years of um, the recovery process, you know, people let the things that are working for them fall to the wayside. And then inevitably, that old stinking thinking, and that, you know, addiction voice comes back, you know, tries to lure you back in um, to those old patterns. So some people have the question of, okay, so like, what does that recovery process look like? And I know I've just tapped (laughs) very generally on, you know, what it looks like in the very beginning with withdrawal and maybe the first three months, what to be mindful and aware of. But this whole recovery process, it's important that individuals really invest in and work, you know, the 12 steps. It's important that they invest in and work the 20 tasks. This is something we can talk more about later, but it's important that they invest in self-care and therapy and healing and You know, like I said earlier, just rediscovering that authentic and amazing and spectacular and vibrant self that's going to do just amazing, amazing things in the world. So it's like, why go through that initial hell, right? Why go through all that initial pain? It's because of what's waiting for you on the other side is worth it. It is so worth it. Are you going to feel like that in the first, you know, maybe 180 days? <laughs> Not completely, but you'll start to get glimpses of it and you in it's coming. I'm just here to tell you it's coming and it's worth it. And I even just want to say to the partners out there who have an addicted loved one, you know, it's coming. It's coming. These individuals, when they get to that place, they are the best partners. They are supportive and loving and caring, you know, children and family members. And, you know, it's coming, it's coming for them, but it is their work and their investment and they have to do it on their own. But I'm just here to tell you when, when you see them um, again for that, you know, that is 
the type of individual that you want to put your, your trust in again, you know, so that's just, I think, important for partners and, you know, loved ones to hear is that, you know, what's on the other side of this, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. Listen up, Direct Impact Nation. You know how important routine, structure, consistency, and accountability is on the road to recovery and personal discovery. Well, I have developed the perfect companion for you on your journey. My Plan to Recover journal is thoughtfully and specifically designed for the person looking to achieve long-term success in recovery while gaining personal insight, awareness, emotional intelligence, and spiritual integrity. The Plan to Recover journal will help you stay recovery-minded, practice your priorities, and build a healthy relationship with self and others 12 hours at a time. To preview and pre-order your copy today, visit www.lightninginabottle.biz backslash journal. That's www.lightninginabottle.biz backslash journal. And don't forget to get a PTR journal for a friend on their journey too. Direct Impact Nation will save 15% when you use the promo code IMPACT. That's promo code I-M-P-A-C-T. With the purchase of your PTR journal, you will become part of an exclusive community dedicated to recovery and self-discovery. Visit www.lightninginabottle.biz and let us take you from want to to willing and from willing to healing. So that's just a little bit about what to expect. I've got some questions here that I just want um, to bring up because I think they're excellent and exactly what our listeners are asking for. So typical thoughts and hangups. Um, I think I kind of touched on that, but a lot of it is, you know, feeling unique, (laughs) feeling different, feeling like what everybody else is experiencing is not quite the same as what they're experiencing. And and yes, everyone's unique and special individual with, you know, lived experiences that are different. But, you know, the physical withdrawal, the stinking thinking, those cognitions that, you know, there's so much that is just really identical. And it's because, you know, addiction, it looks the same in everybody. I mean, I feel like if anybody out there likes or has seen zombie movies, I love zombie movies. I love zombie movies because they remind me of the addictive disease. When you have it, You look like everybody else. You act like everybody else. You behave like everybody who's active in addiction. When you move into abstinence, sobriety, and full-on recovery, you start to reclaim your uniqueness then (laughs) Um, and discover, you know, all of your amazing strengths and talents and, you know, make all those contributions. But yeah, like at first, (laughs) you know, it's very similar in every single person. So, you know, that terminal uniqueness is something that's pretty common (laughs) initially. And there are several, several more common cognitions and negative thoughts uh, that come up in 
the early recovery process and when you're in those early withdrawals. I could really go on and on about that, but I think I need to move to the next question because we're going to cover stinking thinking and negative cognitions in you know, a future episode as, as well. So we'll wind up da- uh, diving into that a little bit deeper. But the next question is, what can I do about it? So, you know, I think that's just, it's an excellent question. And I go back in early recovery to the importance of accountability. And because you don't know what you don't know, (laughs) you're not going to recognize the lies that you're telling yourself, you are not going to recognize in yourself the denial Um, You're not going to recognize the resistance. You're not going to have insight into all those defense mechanisms that are going to show up, right? Because the defense mechanisms naturally keep us from those insights, right? So accountability is huge. You know, I'm a big proponent of the 12 steps, right? So 12 step program, sponsorship, um, accountability partner, process groups, all right, task groups, individual therapy, uh, just making sure that you have people who have walked this journey, who have walked through something similar before you. They don't have to be that far ahead of you, but they have to have, to some degree, have knowledge of this, sometimes experience of this, but they need to be able to recognize in you the things that you're not going to be able to recognize in yourself early on. So I just can't emphasize the importance of um, a sober support network. Okay, and, um, and having that community available to you, because they're going to help you do that shadow work, they're going to help you in a very compassionate way. All right. They're going to help you reduce your shame and allow you to do that that work Um, because they're recognizing in you things you're just not ready to recognize in yourself. All right. So accountability, I just feel like is huge. I also feel like, you know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, (laughs) um, bored, uh, sad. Those things are um, just it's a great thing to pay attention to when these, um, you know, this resistance comes up when you start to feel this resistance, or when somebody else points it out to you, to be able to connect to your body, to then attune to yourself enough to say, well, could this trigger, could this urge, could this craving be coming from the fact that I'm just haven't eaten, I'm not taking care of my body, I'm not nourishing my body, I'm not spending time in my body. So could it be hunger? Could it be anger? Could it be dis-ease? Could it be anxiety? All right. Could it be loneliness? Could it be a negative core belief that I'm, I'm all alone in this? All right. Could it be sadness? Could it be that you're tired? You know, um, our mood is dependent on these things. Our, our mood is dependent on nutrition, you know, taking care of our brain and body. Our mood is dependent on good sleep patterns and habits and making sure that you get enough. Everybody's different there, but enough for your body. Okay. Is it sadness? Is it boredom? You know, sometimes a lot of time boredom is just like a big driving force because you're always looking to something outside of yourself to regulate your emotion. So when you're sitting still, what happens? 
you feel dysregulated. All right. You feel, you know, hypersensitivity. You feel all these things start coming up and then you want to numb it or medicate it. And that could lead to a slip or a relapse or just to, you know, just, you know, some negative cognitions, right? So those are just the things that I would recommend just right, right off the top. Like what are some things that you can do about it? Do you feel preoccupied, confused, or embarrassed about an unwanted behavior? Do you prioritize pornography, food, finances, gambling, toxic people, and or chemicals over your primary responsibilities? Well, at Resolve Strategies in Savannah, Georgia, our clinical counselors offer evidence-based approaches to take you from discovery to recovery. To learn more about Resolve Strategies, visit www.resolvestrategiesinc.com and take our free quiz five defense mechanisms that might keep you in the dark. First steps. Um, Why is it so hard? (laughs) Um, I think I already mentioned that too. Uh, I'll just reiterate on what I said before, but I'll go a little bit step, uh, step further and just kind of go into the neurobiology just a tad. It's hard because you're rewiring. You're rebooting. You are building new neuropathways and neuro networks that allow you to self-regulate, to get into positive emotion on your own, to no longer depend on other people, behaviors, chemicals, right? So this is a whole rewiring of the brain. It can be done. I see it done every day, right? This one, I love this work because people get better. They really do. <laughs> they get better. They just do the work, they get better, right? So there is this rewiring that's going on. And during this time, you know, it's difficult because a lot of people are going to experience what we call anhedonia. So they don't feel anything. They feel numb. They feel blah. They feel disconnected. They don't feel energized. They don't feel passionate in any kind of way. So this affects people in lots of different ways. It affects their mood. It affects them sexually. It affects them relationally. It affects their ability to kind of like do that deep work that must be done in recovery. So that's something that is just happens in early recovery because you're dopamine deficient at this point. So everybody's going to go through this dopamine deficiency and where neuro biologically and chemically in your brain, you're just not getting those feel good chemicals anymore. Right? So like you're depleted in serotonin and oxytocin and GABA and dopamine and your brain is not going to give that to you very willingly because you've been abusing it for so long. So it's holding on tight. It's like, well, I'm not going to give any of this feel good because they're going to force it down my throat. (laughs) So it it's a rewiring that's going on during this time. And so it's, it's hard. And, um, and patience, obviously, is not something that's going to come quickly to somebody in early recovery. But it does, it takes time. And your brain is working hard on your behalf to heal because it craves recovery. Um, the other thing that I just mentioned, too, is just that 
that dysregulation piece. You know, if you're dopamine deficient, you don't have very good executive functioning at this point, okay? So you're not going to be the best problem solver. You're not, you're going to have a very hard time coming into what we call your wise mind. Your frontal lobe is still not as easily engaged. Your discernment is going to be off a tad. Your time management will be poor, (laughs) you know, so this is just something to expect. Your brain is rewiring, okay? So just just know that. Know that you're going to have numbness and discomfort emotionally. You're going to struggle cognitively with the dopamine deficiency. You're going to struggle interpersonally. You know, all of all of this is just something that happens earlier on. So that's my answer to why is it so hard. But again, I want to come back to the last question actually is, so why bother? (laughs) And I want to come back to you bother because you matter. You're important. (laughs) The mark that you make on your life and the lives of others and this world while you are here is important and it matters. And you cannot do it effectively. (laughs) If you are not in some form of not just sobriety, not just abstinence, but recovery. So that's why it's because you matter and the people around you matter. And um, you deserve to experience your authentic self, the best version of yourself, and to live in a life of integrity, which doesn't happen outside of recovery. So that's why. Yeah, it's hard, but it is so worth it. All right. Thanks so much. I hope I've answered your questions. And as always, um, if this was relevant to you or to somebody you know, love and care about, please do share this episode. And thanks for showing up. Take care. Bye. Does anyone else feel like they just earned an extra brain wrinkle? Do you feel like that went by way too fast and just cannot wait till the next episode? Then leave a review and share this episode with a friend, a loved one, a coworker, or whomever, because your valued feedback makes a direct impact. Thank you for dropping in. Snaps to you because you have made a direct impact by listening to this podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media and stay tuned every week for a new episode of Direct Impact with Andrea Epstein.